It's been well documented with gold Olympic, Olympic medalists, world champions, that once you've been at the top, you've experienced that huge euphoria, that, that amazing feeling, feeling of well-being. There's only one way to go, and that's down. Eddie, what would you say is stronger in you, your mental strength or your physical strength? Oh, that's a, that's a hard question. Um, I would say my, my mental strength is probably more of um, as a part of what I am than my physical. I think, you know, in terms of strength, there, there, there are people out there that are as strong and you know willing to put the bodies on the line but mentally i think it's uh, that's where i've got the the game changer it's it's being able to swim out to those dark waters and whilst everyone else is swimming back you keep going and that's that's what separates me from the rest i believe why do you do that why do you push yourself to such limits like we we had covid we could all just relax a bit yeah. <laughs> is it a bit sadistic to do that it is a little bit, yeah. I think um, I think a lot of it stems with filling a void. I think you know I've, I've suffered with uh, mental health, anxiety, and depression through a lot of my life, and filling that void for me is going to the gym and venting and, and getting that aggression out and, and walking out with with those endorphins and those that feel good factor. And I think that is that is addictive, in a way. You know, you, 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 you thrive to have that feeling all the time. So you keep going back and, and wanting that feeling. Um, and I suppose for me, it's sort of like if I'm not doing something, if I'm not like got a target, a goal, eye on the ball, so to say, that's when I start to really fall, fall down the rabbit hole, the dark, deep, horrible hole and feel bad. So chasing something and pushing the limits is is my void filler and it, it it becomes an obsession and i suppose that that's that in a way mental health has been a massive hindrance in the life but it's also been a massive uh, blessing and gift in certain ways because it's pushed me to take my body to the limits and and, and push more than what people deem possible in life mm. so what is that void I suppose the void for me, I mean, when I was a kid, I, I undiagnosed suffered with ADHD uh, and God knows what else. So very energetic, very bouncing off the walls. And I was a very high level swimmer. And they say now, now I'm like, my sons have grown up and I've got kids on my own and my son's got ADHD. And they say the best cure for it is sport release that energy, release those endorphins, then they'll they'll work harder, they'll sleep better, they'll, you know, they'll build their lives quicker. So I guess unbeknown to me, I was filling that void when I was a little boy. You know, I was a, a, a national champion swimmer. And then I get I suppose fast forward to about 13, 14, the swimming um, the swimming scene sort of stopped, you know. Didn't, didn't like dropped out the club chucked off the GB squad, that kind of thing. And the anxiety and depression and all the sort of side effects of ADHD began to really creep in. Uh, and that's when I really started to struggle. You know, really, really bad anxiety, really bad depression, wanting to kill myself. Re not really sure, I'm at that, that age, you know, that, that time, 
no one knew what that kind of thing was. You know, it was just swept under the carpet. Like, oh, you're feeling down. Oh, here's a lollipop. You know, mm. sort yourself out. So, and then it was only when I started going to the gym again when I was about 14 that that started to disappear again. Mm. And that made me realize that, well, now as an adult looking back, it made me realize that that is my void, is not keeping active, not having a goal, not having something to chase. And that's when I sort of, you know, dive down the rabbit hole and sort of think everyone's against me and think the world's horrible and, and it's not worth living. So I suppose that is the void. Mm. And do you know why you felt like that? Did you ever get your head around it? Um, I, I don't. I don't know why I felt like that. It was more, I, I mean, there's there's so much research on it nowadays. They put it down to, you know, chemical imbalances, hormone imbalances. You know, the, no one's really got an answer. No, I think they're just trying to disprove the chemical imbalances thing now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, you know, no one no one can put a, a sort of pin in it and say that's the reason why you, you know, have these problems. For me now, as an adult, and I say I've done a lot of research on the ADHD. I feel I feel like it was it was that mm. really unbeknown to myself, unbeknown to my family. Mm. I, I had a really bad sort of case of ADHD, and uh, when I stopped doing sport and stopped being active, the the, the side effects and the problems caved in. And what are those side effects? Anxiety. You know, you've got this rush of energy all the time your brain's bouncing off the walls you you know i mean if i speak to my parents they'll say the same i was just constantly moving but mm. jumping on the spot you know i couldn't sit and watch tv i'd just be bouncing and bouncing yeah. um and i think because of that it, it destroys your central nervous system and, it, and that's what gives you anxiety and right then, and then in turn of that when you get when you get anxiety when you you know you, you're having these feelings and you get the cramps in your stomach and the lump in the back of your throat uh, and you don't know what it is. And I suppose that's when the thoughts creep in of, right, I, like something's wrong with me. And then you start to think, you know, am I, I, I going to die? And then more thoughts creep in and you think, is it worth living? Is it worth doing this? Is it worth doing that? So I think they have a knock-on effect to each other mm. quite badly. Um, and that's what I believe that ADHD can do. Due to a person, if left undiagnosed, it can really mess with them. Did you ever have to take medication? Other than when I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression, I was prescribed Prozacs when I was 13. Wow. Other than that, no, I've never never had anything for my ADHD. As I say, I think I was quite lucky in a way of I found I found sport as a boy and I found what you know, lifting weights and, mm. and, and bodybuilding, so to say, and powerlifting in my adulthood. Yeah. And they've just been quite lucky of sort of kept to those side effects at, at bay. And it isn't until I'm like, oh, as I say, it's not until I've had me, my own son and he's got the same that I've sort of understood it and gone, mm. right, you know, I can look back to my childhood and go, that's what it was. Mm. So, you know, like when you watch, I don't know, Marvel or superhero movies and you've got these superheroes and they've got this one big weakness and flaw, none of them are perfect. Yeah. Uh, I sort of feel a bit like that with you, whereby, I mean, if you took away the ADHD and the anxiety, would you have even bothered going down the gym? Would you want to drive yourself to the dark places to be the strongest man in the world and lift the biggest deadlift ever? Would you have even done any of that? You've got a feeling says no. Yeah. Uh, you might have been an accountant or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was, I worked as a truck mechanic from age 16 up until I was like 26. I worked as a doorman as well during that time. 
Uh, and I always think to myself, even now, you know, what if I hadn't have found the gym? What if I hadn't have done the swimming? Uh, where would I be? And the chances are I'd still be stuck in, you know, that nine to five job, mm. uh, which I hate. You know, I find, I find, you know, that was when I was at my most unhappiest, mm. when I was working 10, 12 hours a day every day and working, you know, shifts on the doors at night. That's when I was my most unhappiest. Right. Yeah, so I always try and have some positive messages on the show and some crazy stuff as well. But yeah. um, is that a great message that we could put out there more for all the people that are struggling, that are maybe struggling with their mental health, their anxiety, ADHD, bit lost, odd one out, disruptor, rebel. Actually, that could be the driver that makes them really successful. I believe so. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a lot of problems out there and people have got a lot of mental health issues, anxiety and depression and ADHD and autism and all sorts of things. And I believe that there, there isn't a cure. I'll say that up straight. There isn't a cure, but I believe there is a way of um, dealing with it and almost almost like a, a, a fix on a daily basis. Now, my fix was swimming. My fix was bodybuilding. My fix was strongman. I'm not saying that's going to be your fix or anyone else's fix, but I think it's important to say that there is, there is more than likely going to be a fix for your mental health issues or your ADHD. It might be going for a coffee with a friend. It might be going for a walk with your dog. It might be drag racing. Don't really know. But what I'm saying is like, that's that's what I always say to people in, in these situations is try and find your fix. Find something that cure, like not cures, but some, something that sort of battles those symptoms on a mm. daily basis. Uh, and makes things manageable. Mm. Was it easy for you to find yours? It sounded like you fell into it quite early because I imagine some people listening, they're in their 40s and they still haven't found yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I was quite lucky. My mum was a swimming teacher and my elder brothers swam. So I was almost forced. You know, I didn't have an option. They all went to the swimming club and I was like, well, you can't stay at home, Eddie. You have to come along. So I was, you know, forced into the swimming training. Mm. Um and I think because I felt so good after each session, that's why I, I then wanted to go back. Mm. You know, no one then forced me to. Yeah. Every time I went, I felt good about myself. I'd come back and I'd be, you know, just like this, this huge, I mean, as a kid, to have that feeling of, of euphoria and self-worth when you're coming back from a training session mm. makes you want to go again and again mm. and again. Uh, and the same with the, the lifting weights, you know, I almost fell into that in a way. It was almost like an accident when I, you know, my mum and dad sort of sat me down one day and were like, you, you can't, you can't stay at home from school all day because I was expelled. You've got to go to the gym. You've got to do, you've got to do something with your life. What do yeah. you want to do? Um, and I said, well, I'll, I'll go to the gym then. You know, all my mates were at the school studying for the GCSEs. And I was going to the gym and doing, you know, deadlifts, biceps, triceps. <laughs> and that's where the journey began. And again, yeah. that's when I started to feel better. So I almost fell into that as well. Mm. You know, it was sort of like both almost accidental, but uh, but worked quite well. Mm. What did you get expelled for? Uh, <laughs> I don't think I can quite say. But, um, <laughs> Give us a clue. I didn't realise well, it was such a... Well, I mean, I got suspended... Uh, several, several, probably a hundred times, and then eventually expelled. And most of the time, it was either to do with my fists or my dick, one of the <laughs> one or the other. 
It was never any other, anything else. No. Never, yeah, it was one or the other. All right, um, then we'll leave it at that. Yeah. This show is called Disruptors. Did you disrupt World's Strongest Man? Did I disrupt? Disrupt it, disrupt yeah. It. I mean, um, you were the first British winner for quite a while, were you? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was, uh, I think, 24 years mm. since the last... I used to watch time. it back in the day, back in the Jeff Capes yeah. day, and watched you win it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, did you do something different? How did you win World's Strongest Man? What advantage did you have? Well, I believe that I, I brought a different angle to Strongman, and that is the world of recovery and investing in your body. Um, I think that I trained hard and I ate hard, but I believe that there were people that trained harder and ate better than me. Right. But where they wouldn't put the, the money and the work in was the recovery. Uh, and that's something I, I feel I really brought to the table of, you know, the, the, the fort, for, for most strongmen out there, I mean, it's a tough sport and it's an, it's an expensive sport. You know, it costs a lot of money to feed yourself, to go to gyms and, you know, fuel mm. and, and traveling to different competitions every other weekend. Uh, it's expensive. So when you're talking about, you know, spending money on your body in terms of physiotherapy and cryotherapy and hyperbaric chambers, you know, the fort of spending... 40 to 60 pounds a week on physiotherapy, most strong men would be like, fucking hell, I can't afford that. Mm. And I was of the opinion it was the most important thing, right? If you're going to spend 300 pounds a week on food and, you know, gym memberships and, and whatever else, then why aren't you putting the same into your recovery? And that's where I really excelled. You know, I was, I was doing 300 pounds a week in food um, and how, when was this? This was like in my prime. Like, yeah. You know, so, 2015 to right. 2017. So I yeah. quit my job in 2014 and that's when I became professional. Yeah. So I mean, that 300 quid a week with inflation would be 450 quid a week I now. Did, probably, yeah, yeah. Probably would be, yeah. Um, so that just on food? Just on food. And then I was doing a minimum of five physio sessions a week at £40 a pop. So I mean, what's that? That's 200, is it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. £200 a week just on physiotherapy. Sometimes more because sometimes I'd have to go for, you know, shockwave treatment and other, other yeah. cryotherapy treatment. Or whatever. So you're probably talking £250 a week on physiotherapy. Um, what about all your proteins and supplements? I was just about and all to say, that? and then you've got all the, all the supplements. You know, you, you, it's expensive, man. It's, I was it's, saying this to Harry in the car. I wanted to ask you, what does it cost a year? to be a world strong man, you know, when you add it all up? Well, I, I worked out, I remember I worked out with the food, the the memberships, the traveling, the the physio, the hot and cold, all that kind yeah. of thing. I worked out is you've got to spend about 800 pounds a week just on you. So that's not paying the mortgage, that's yeah. not feeding the wife and kids. That's 800 pounds a week just on you. So that's three and a half grand a month, but if you're earning, net that's seven grand a month because you've got to pay your 50 pound in you know your 50 percent mm -hmm. in tax 85 grand a year best part of wow gross say, yeah. yeah i would say i mean I, I mean back then i was probably only earning 30 to 35 grand a year in, in my day job and then i was having to moonlight you know working the doors mm. 
to you know top that up and actually afford it. Uh, and then of course you've got sponsors. You know, we've got people that pay bits of cash and help out as well. So it all it all adds up. But there was at no point where it was like I could take my foot off the gas and have a week off. Because if you have a week off for all that money, you're just back in, de- in deficit again, you know, yeah. and, you, and then you owe people, and it's uh, that just adds to the stress. Mm. So yeah, it's uh, it's an expensive sport. Yeah. Um, but investing in yourself, you know, the two hundred and fifty pounds. So that's how you saw it as an investment, not an expense. I saw it as an yeah. investment. Yeah. Um, hyperbaric chamber. Now, at the time, the cheapest I could find for a hyperbaric chamber was a hundred thousand pounds. That's more than your tank. To buy one, yeah. <laughs> to buy one. So, what I did is, uh, this, is, this, is this is probably one of the most proudest things, but almost, also probably one of the most stupid. I built my own. <laughs> I, I went to an engineer, and we got a massive steel tube. And we, <laughs> we put ends on it, and we put all the all the gas fittings in, and we put we got all the oxygen tanks, and got the compressors. And I made my own hyperbaric chamber. It cost me about three grand, but I made my own. And, uh, and it worked fine. And it worked fine. And it worked fine. It was very, very dangerous. I remember, <laughs> I, remember I did it and to test it, because I didn't want to go in and test it myself, I, uh, I put my rabbit in it <laughs> at the time. And I thought, I thought, if the rabbit survives, then I'll be okay. <laughs> so the rabbit survived an hour in there. So the rabbit, I bet you wouldn't put wolf in it, would no, you? You wouldn't put no, your dog in it. No, no. no. So the rabbit survived an hour. <laughs> uh, so I got out and I was like, right, safe. So I went in. <laughs> went in and that's how I tested it. So. Oh man, that is random. And that's the advantage you have. You thought you had in World's Strongest Man because you could recover better. You could um, train harder and you'd be stronger at the events. Yeah, basically. I, I, I believe that as I say, I, I believe that everyone was probably training as hard as me. Everyone was eating as well as me. But I need. I was like, how can I get one up on these other guys? How can I step it up? So I thought it's got to be the recovery. Yeah. It's it's got to be. You know, what are, what are the other guys not willing to do? What are they not willing to spend? Yeah. And that's where I thought, right, I can I can get everyone a one up here. The hyperbaric chamber, for instance. I was talking to a professor in the U.S. who who sort of uh, did a lot of research with this. He, he, he put his athletes in it, he's in university studies, and he reckoned that one hour in the hyperbaric chamber was the same as having 12 hours outside. So right. it speeds up the recovery process times 12. Mm. So if I'm having an hour in that chamber every day, I'm getting another three and a half days recovery every week over any other athlete. And if you put that, like you add that up over a year, I mean, that's another 150 days a year extra recovery I'm getting on any other athlete. So that's where I got the competitive edge, was that I was willing to take loans out, you know, remortgage my house to buy these things. And um, did you feel it? I'm in your... have to. Yeah, sure. It's just not stopping That's all right. No. <laughs> Sorry. Hello? Hi, mate. You Okay. Oh, for fuck's sake. Let me make a call, mate. Sorry. Give me a second. Cheers, mate. Thank you. It literally, for 10 That's minutes, right, it's yeah. just going off. Yeah, it's all right. The, 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 no problem. They've come to fit the house, uh, fit the door on one of my houses, and nobody's in, which is really annoying. 
Sorry. That's all right. Yeah, bro. Hi, Liam, mate. The door people have been ringing me all morning, saying there's no one at, no one at the house, mate. Is your missus in? Yeah, she's in, huh? Well, the... the oh, I know she's got uh, hard what of hearing. What um, well, they've been ringing me non-stop for about 20 minutes. I told them between 10 and half past, like Yeah, well... They have come at 10, haven't they? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Well, they're, they're trying to get in, so, I don't know, can you get all your missus and get her to come to the door? Yeah, I'll get I'll sort you now. Awesome. Cheers, Liam. Thank you. Bye, 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 bye. bye. His missus is deaf. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, she's up to something. Fucking yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> Fucking annoying when you're sorts. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, it's all right. It's yeah. no problem. Go on, yeah, could you feel it in your body and in your mind, the speed of the recovery? Because I know that's only something that's come out fairly recently in training, that the recovery is as important as the training. Yeah. I, I believe that, you know, everything I was doing, I was doing the, the physio, I was doing an hour and a half of physio most days. I was doing the heart and cold treatment every single day. That's big now, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was doing an hour, an hour in a sauna, an hour in a, well, an hour in a sauna, sort of five minutes in a cold bath, really, really hard sort of hot cold treatment. Uh, I was doing the hyperbaric treatment every single day. And then I was doing stuff like the cryotherapy where you go in a machine and you freeze yourself. Um, and then, you know, shockwave therapy. There's just endless, I could, I could go on forever about stuff that costs a lot of money that, mm. that, that people weren't willing to do. And I was, and I think, yeah. I believe that's what, that's what separated me from the rest. Mm. I mean, I'm not the most genetically gifted man on the planet. You know, I'm not a giant. I'm six foot two and a half. I'm, you know, from a normal size family. No one's, no one's a freak, you know. And I, I believe that I was just able to push the boundaries and put that extra work in and put that extra investment in in terms of recovery to get up to the level of the giants mm. and surpass them. Mm. And I, I believe that's where I came, you know, separated myself from the rest was being clever. Mm. So when you were halfway through your world record deadlift and your nose started to bleed. Can you remember that moment and how you felt? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the half-ton deadlift. So, regardless what people think, I'd never lifted above 460 kilos before that day. Never. So... Is it true you did the, the two lifts that day? Or really yeah. close, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so the most I ever lifted in the gym was 450. The most I'd ever lifted in the competition was 460. So, I was coming into that competition that day and I claimed that I was going to beat the world record by 37 kilo in one day which was obscene it was obscene you know it had been broken by one kilo a year mm. every year for 20 years you know so for me to add 37 kilo on in one day was just like it was deemed impossible by so many people yeah so I suppose when I lifted it and it started to you know as soon as I got past my knees and I'm at the halfway point I guess it was just that, that not a feeling of like, fuck you to everyone, but like a feeling of like, there you go. You know, if you really want something, if you put your heart and soul into something in life, you can achieve it. And it was just such a satisfying moment. The last few inches of the deadlift, I was just looking. You were just showing it. Just looking at the crowd, <laughs> just like. <laughs> so pleased with myself. 
Yeah. Because there was so much negativity. There was so much, there was so many people saying it was impossible. You know, the, the promoters of Strongman said it was impossible. The, the other Strongman said it was impossible. I was very vocal on social media. And I'd say 99% of the, you know, the fans said it was impossible. So I was just fighting this complete, this brick wall of negativity. Mm. Just like, it's not going to happen. You're an idiot. You're a dick. You're deluded. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so that was a nice, a nice moment for me to, to prove all those people wrong and, and pull that 500 kilo deadlift. And was that the motivation then? Did it become about proving people wrong? It, I mean, it was a big part of it. I'll be honest. You know, if someone says you can't do something, <laughs> I'm going to try my hardest to prove those people wrong. And it's almost... It, it is, it does like a, light a little fire in, you, in your belly, you know? Mm. Uh, and I think every single comment, every single like negative word and, and passing comment, whatever you see, it's just throwing a piece of coal on. Yeah. You know, that's how I saw it. Every time yeah. I'd see something, I'd just get more riled up, like, mm. right. It would make me genuinely train harder yeah. and focus more and eat better and recover better. You know, it really did focus mm. me in. How did you prepare your mind to go in that day knowing that you've nowhere near lifted this before and not let the doubts creep in. Yeah. I mean, did you know that day you were going to do it? Or was there any doubts? Of course there's doubts. But I, I just joked myself that much. I kidded myself that much that I had to believe it, you know? Um, I said the most I ever lifted in the gym was 450. And any time I went above that, my head would fall off. What does head fall off mean? Like, I'd lose faith before oh, I'd even right, try yeah. to lift oh, I see, it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then I'd go to lift it and I'd break the ground and fail because, and I think it's because my mind just wasn't there. My yeah. mind kept telling me this was impossible. And I actually I had to do a load of research. I spoke to a lot of universities, a lot of scientists, blood doctors, everything else. Uh, bear in mind, I had a year to prep, and it was a scientist that, that, that broke it down for me. He's like, Luke, he's like, you aren't, you aren't going to lift this. So the only way the human body can lift this kind of weight is if you trigger the fight or flight scenario. And it's been proven of like people have car accidents uh, and mothers lift, you know, cars off of the kids wow. and, yeah. and, and fathers have like done amazing things to, to protect the children, yeah. and, you know. Uh, and that's the instant he gave to me. He's like, you've got to put yourself in this kind of scenario. You've got to release that massive dump of adrenaline to get access to all your muscle fibers. And what really like, made me understand it was, he said a day-to-day -day person, someone who, who, who takes the kids to school, goes to work, does a bit of shopping, picks the kids up and goes home, you know, and watches TV all night. That person's probably got access to 50, 60% of the muscle fibers at most. Someone who's more in tune with the body, like an athlete who's using the body every day, coordination, you know, activating those muscle fibers. They've probably got access to about 70, 75% of the muscle fibers at most. But a mother who's been in a car crash and the kids are trapped under a car, that massive dump of adrenaline, they've got access to 100% of the muscle fibers and they can outstrength like a, a, a strong man who's only got 50%. And that's when I, that was like a flick switch moment for me. I was just like, I was like, wow, okay. So I've got to go to a dark place. And then I recruited a hypnotherapist who we did a lot of work together, a lot of sitting down and just talking about scenarios and, and ways to approach 
the lift and, 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 and what sort of mind frame to have. And we, we got to a point where we discussed a scenario, a very horrible, very, very horrible scenario involving my kids and something that would trigger a massive rush of adrenaline. Can you share that? No, no. I can't. We're not about getting upset. Yeah. And so what we had to do was just before like I, I do this lift, I, I'm sort of just... <laughs> So not a lot of people know this. Before I did the 500 kilo deadlift, I, I'd locked myself in a disabled toilet for about 20 minutes. And I just had two pals in there with me, just talking, just talking, just just bigging each other up, just fucking like, you're gonna do this. It's like, you know, to the point where, and then I did a trigger point with the, with the hypnotherapist, or a pincher point in the back of my hand, and that brings all those feelings and emotions, rushed in my head. And I remember I kicked, I literally, I didn't open the door, I kicked the door open from this disabled toilet. And I just walked out, got my suit on and just walked up and lifted it. And I felt like I could walk on water. That's how high I was. That's how, that, that massive rush of adrenaline. And then when I, when I got my hands on the bar and I closed my eyes, that's when I was like, my, 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 my mind just went into a different dimension almost. I wasn't lifting. I wasn't Eddie Hall lifting that weight in the arena. I was Eddie Hall in a different place, you know, in this scenario. And I closed my eyes, and if you watch the footage of me lifting, my eyes are shut, and then halfway up, they just open, and I'm still, I can't see anything. But you look into my eyes and tell me they didn't change color. You tell me that, because they fucking do. And then I stand up, and then I sort of finish the lift, and it's like, Dink, like back in the room and it's just like fucking hell like it, it was literally an out of body experience you sort of like yeah i was some i wasn't in the arena my, my head was somewhere else and then when i completed the lift it was like shoo, back in the room it was quite surreal and mm. it's quite hard for people to comprehend but this is the scenario scenario i had to do yeah and you wouldn't have lifted that way if you hadn't have gone to that place you'd have lifted 460 465 do you think Probably not on that day, mm. I think. I think I was strong enough to lift 500 kilo. Yeah. That day, you know, um, bear in mind, I was nowhere near my peak in 2016. I think it was the, the mind that lifted that weight for me rather mm. than the body. Um, but then a year later, uh, 2017, I do feel as though I would I peaked at mm. my, my strength. You know, I... I I remember I lifted 470 kilo in the final of World's Strongest Man after 12 events. And I stood up stood up a bit quicker than you could stand up out of the chair. And they asked me after the lift, like, Ed, you just, you're on fire, mate. Like, what do you think you could lift right now? And I was like, 520, maybe a bit more. Yeah. Like, I just felt, the str I was the strongest man on the planet and I felt it. Mm. You know, again, you know, I was sort of walking around that arena and I felt like I was walking on water, you know, mm. I felt, I felt, Horrible to say, but you f I just felt above everyone in, in terms of strength. Yeah. I just felt like in, a dip in another world. <laughs> Did that lift not nearly kill you? I saw the documentary where it was really hard for you to breathe and you had a compression, didn't you, in your spine? Yeah. Um, so, blacked out. So I did the lift, got the down call, stood there, enjoyed it for a bit. And then I, when I released, it was like that massive dump of blood just gets flushed all over the place. So I managed to unhook a hand and then just went. 
I was convulsing, so it was like in and out of consciousness. Have you ever that ever, ever happened to you? No, no, I've, I've, I've watched it, but see, yeah. <laughs> so it's happened no. to me once or twice, and you sometimes get it. If well, you get lightheaded, yeah. So if you go lightheaded and don't go to the floor, what will happen is you, you convulse, so you come in and out of consciousness, and that's your body's way of telling you to lie down to get the blood back to your head. Oh, sort wow. Of thing. Right. So I was in and out of consciousness, sort of convulsing all around, and then <laughs> took me a, took me, I don't know, a minute to sort of like compose myself get my breath, uh, blood was just fucking everywhere. Um, and then, yeah, did a little speech to the crowd and then backstage just, just suffered the con- consequences and they were bad. You know, I had, just the pressure here was insane, all behind my eyes, behind my ears. Um, I had what they call archive. So if, you, if you're like, I was welding in the past, so you get like, if you weld somewhere and look at it, and then you look somewhere else, you're blind in that spot. Mm. So I had, I had archive where wherever I looked, I was sort of blind in the middle of my vision. I could see the outside, but not the middle. So that was quite scary. Uh, blood pressure was un, unreadable. It was well over the 200s. Uh, heart rate was in the 200s as well. Just everything was just through the roof. And it was just, just it was just had such a surge of adrenaline that my body just couldn't, you know, it couldn't deal with it, basically. So afterwards, it was just a, a horrible sort of traumatic sort of 20 minutes or so, just getting me to calm down, get me adrenaline back down and get my blood pressure and heart rate back down. And it was a very worrying time because with all the blood that came out, I was proper like, has something popped or something gone wrong? Because there's been instances where strength athletes have actually like burst aortic valves and blood's come up from the mouth and all sorts of shit. So I had some bad feelings, you know, it's been it's quite traumatic, yeah. but pulled through. Is all that shit worth it? <laughs> the old, people always say, if you could go back and do it again, what, what would you? Would you? And I'm like, yeah, but I'd probably add 10 kilos. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, yeah, I definitely would go back and do it again. But yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't take anything back. That's for sure. I wouldn't take anything back. Everything no. happens for a reason. Yeah. And it all pans out in the end. Mm. And why, you said you were peaked at 2017. Why was that your peak year? I believe I just got everything right. I got the recovery right, I got the diet right, I got the training right. I was working with blood doctors. So I got all my all my markers in the perfect performance ranges. Everything was just popping. Everything just felt good. Um, and I just felt the strongest and fittest I'd ever been in my life. And I was I was 196 kilo. And what are you now? Uh, about 170. So I've lost quite a bit, but... Um, I mean, 196 kilo is 31 and a half stone in English terms. 433 pounds for you Americans. So I was, you know, literally one of the biggest human beings on the planet. Um, Day to day, what's it like carrying that weight around? Horrible. Horrendous. Yeah. You can't... Just little things like putting your socks on. Can't. You can't. You just fucking can't. Imagine imagine being... I was spheric. Everything was just ballooned yeah. and all that water retention. Yeah. It's like getting a sock on would take me five minutes. Get the other sock on. And just walking about. And I think I think the most stressful of it all was the the the, the health implications. You know, I say I was the, the strongest and fittest and wherever I ever was, but I was also on the limit of everything. You know, every time I went to my doctor, it was like, oh, you know, I was like, your kidney markers are even higher, your liver markers are up, your hemoglobin's up. 
You know, you used to loop me up and down and be like, Ed, like you need to, you need to fuck off now. You need to cut back. Like mm. you're this close to, to dying. You know, at any point, any of your organs could fail. He did put he put things in perspective for me, and this was this was about five weeks before World's Strongest Man. I failed an ECG, so the medical to get to compete at World's Strongest Man. I failed the ECG, and they wouldn't let me compete. So the only way they could let me compete was if I did a full echogram, i.e., a full scan on the heart, make sure all the valves are working and functioning. There's no weaknesses and all that kind of thing. So I did that, and everything was fine. But the doctor said to me, he said, just, just, you've got to think about this from a health perspective. Like, you look at your body weight, you look at your body mass index and your hemoglobins and your liver and kidney markers, put you in a chart and compare you to the rest of the country. Like, an overweight guy is probably 130 kilo, you know, 22, 22 stone. That's an overweight guy. I was closer to 32. You know, he says like you put me. He says like he, was, he showed me this chart. He's like, right, these people, about twenty-two stone, twenty-three stone. These people are like fifty percent more likely to have a heart attack or a stroke than the people weighing thirteen, fourteen stone. You, so here's the chart. The normal people here, guys that are twenty-two stone here, you're here. He's like, you think about it. You're the most statistically, like you're the most statistically. Highest rich person to have a heart attack or stroke right now. So how long do you want to do this for? How long can your body cope with this? And that was hard to take because like five weeks before War's Strongest Man, he was literally saying to me, Ed, like I'm telling you now, you you tomorrow to right now, you could walk out of here and have a heart attack or stroke. So I had to walk away and ignore that advice and just be like, this is it. This is my last one. I can't, my body can't take anymore. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to take years and years and years off my life. Mm. So yeah, that world's strongest man was was uh, the be all or end all. Is either win it or don't win it. That was it. There Do was, you think that maybe no. helped you win it? Because it that was that. I think in a way it did. I think all the all the heart scans uh, and the doctors looking over me top to bottom, they couldn't really understand it. You know, we did all the tests. They couldn't find anything wrong. And I think that's that was a massive help in the end because mm. for years I had people telling me, you know you're going to die, you're at massive risk, blah, 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 blah. But when I did the tests, I, that's when I started ignoring what they said. And I was like, I'm actually probably something a bit special here. You know, we did studies with Staffordshire University and we, uh, we measured the functionality of my heart. A normal person's heart pumps between four and seven litres of blood per minute. Mine was measured at pumping at 17 litres of blood per minute. Wow. So if you think about that, my heart is four, four times more efficient than anyone else's. It's no, no, no bigger, a little bit enlarged, no bigger than everyone else's, but I was pumping four times as much blood as anyone else. And that's when it hit me. I was like, maybe I'm just, you know, I'm just built for it. Mm. You know, maybe there's something in me, like some gene. Yeah. I'm just made for this. And that was later proved that it was. Yeah. Was there ever a come down after the... Um, world record deadlift after strongest man did you ever have a career come down the deadlift no because i had so much more to look forward to you know i i started to win world strongest man at that point so once i did the deadlift i was back in the gym uh i think two weeks later mm. you know i was back at it competed at world strongest man like three weeks after that um 
So that now, World's Strongest Man. When I won the World's Strongest Man, I had this huge euphoria, like the best feeling I'd ever felt in my life. You know, literally on top of the planet, standing on top of that plinth with a big gold trophy. Exactly. Yeah. The, the World's Strongest Man. Yeah. You know, the strongest man on the planet. Proven. No one can take that away. That was a real defining euphoric moment in my life. But it was also probably one of the worst in the following days because it's been well documented with uh, gold Olympic, Olympic medalists and world champions that once you've been at the top, you've experienced that huge euphoria, that, that amazing feeling, feeling of well-being. There's only one way to go and that's down. And that's a horrible, horrible feeling of coming back down to reality and going home and, you know, getting back to normal life. You know, just won the world's strongest man and then two days later I'm changing my son's nappy. You know, I'm putting the dishes away. I'm, you know, going back to work and earning money again. And it's, that's a hard thing to take. It really is. Because you think, you think you just win that, that gold medal and you think, like you, you spend so many years chasing it, you think that's going to solve all your problems, and you get it, and it's like, fuck, what now? And that's how it's hard. You know, that really did put, put me in a massive bit of depression, really, after I won the world's strongest man. So, even though I achieved my life goals and, and achieved everything I wanted, and, and, and I got up every morning and I looked in the mirror and I, and, and I felt content. You know, I was happy in, in what I'd achieved, but what's next mm. you know it was uh, tough really and tough is that why do you think you keep setting yourself these challenges which like your boxing challenge and now your bodybuilding challenge probably out of your comfort zones yes do you think that's why you do those things or is it good for marketing as well <laughs> all three <laughs> all three um i think again it comes back to the void filling it comes back to you know that that 10 year strongman career was uh, such a great void filler. It kept, you know, even though it sometimes I was unhappy in my work and whatever else, it kept me busy, mm. kept me moving forward, it kept me focused. After that, yeah, that, uh, that was some of the toughest times in my life because I had no focus, I had no goals. I was just doing uh, endorsements, I was doing evening webs, doing touring the country, I was doing TV shows keeping myself busy, but no actual purpose or focus. And yeah, when the, when the boxing came along, that was, it was a focus point. It was something to fill that void. And then, you know, I've had some time off after that and now it's, now it's bodybuilding, you know, again, something to fill that void. After this, I don't know, I don't know what, what else there is left I can do. Um, but I, for me, I think it has to be physical. Mm. It has to be physically demanding for me to fill that void, you know, mm. expend that energy and get that sense of euphoria on a daily basis. Mm. What's it like from the wife's point of view? What's it like being married to the world's strongest man? You, not just you, but all you know, your um, competitors you must know. It must be hard to be married to the world's strongest man. What's that like? I would say it's very hard. I'd say it's... I'd say it gets played down a lot by a lot of people. I think I, I think people don't appreciate what goes into it. Um, what is sacrificed? I think it's a lot of sacrifice. My my ten year strongman career 
um, the last five years, I didn't have a uh, last seven years. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't have a holiday for the last seven years. So from 2010 was my last holiday, and because I was that career focused on being the world's strongest man, I didn't have I didn't have any breaks. Um, birthdays, Christmases, you know, evenings out, going out with friends, all ruined because I'd be so focused on my training and so focused on, um, you know, like getting the right food in or the, doing the recovery. Um, for that period as well, I'm very distant and disconnected from my wife and kids. You know, spent no time with them at all. Uh, I, I'd... It'd be pushing it if I said I spent an hour or two hours a week with them. I think that'd be wow. a stretch, you know, because every living waking moment was either working to make money or strongman or traveling with strongman or mm. eating or recovering or competing. It was it was hell on earth, and I think it's not till afterwards you look back and you think, fucking hell, that was that's a hell of a sacrifice from a wife's perspective. You know, she did everything. She, she cooked, she cleaned, she looked after the kids, she she did the laundry, she did, you know, she did all my meals, you know, and, and, and the most important thing is she let me do all that. She let me go travel the world and compete and, and be away for weekends traveling and, and doing shows and every day out the house sort of 10 hours a day, not getting in till 10 o'clock at night and then jumping in the hyperwrite chamber, you know, it was a massive sacrifice. She didn't have a husband. She didn't have one. She just, she supported, and I suppose she, like myself, saw saw the bigger goal. That must be such a hard thing to face because on the one hand, you had to do that to be the world's strongest man. On the other hand, all those hours you've lost with your children and your wife, mm. how do you go to that place? Do you know you're making that sacrifice at the time or is it only after that you're like... I think you know it at the time. I think, you know, you, you, you know, watching, watching my daughter grow up, watching my son grow up and uh, just for that you know, little bit of time you spend with them every so often, you'd be like, oh, fuck me, and I've got, you know, I've got an hour with them today and then it's back to the grind for another six, you know, six hours, 23, six days, 23 hours. It was just, it played in my mind a lot that I was making everyone around me sacrifice, not just me. You know, my wife was miserable at times. You know, I wouldn't see her for weeks on end. Uh, and, and I felt miserable because I was missing time with my kids. And I felt really guilty because of that. But then I, I sort of had to tell myself that it's got to be worth, you know, you, you've got to make sacrifices in life to to be the best, to get out what you want. And I guess I always knew in the back of my head that one day it would come right. You know, one day all that sacrifice, all that time that you've spent supporting me would be paid back. Um, and it's been, and I've proven that right, you know. I've sort of found a, a good balance now between work and, and family life and, you know, socializing and whatever else. Um, and I feel like I broke the mold of if I was still working a full-time job Monday to Saturday doing 12-hour days and working the doors I'd still be struggling to pay my mortgage mm. struggling to put food on the table and I'd still 
probably spend half as much time as I would mm. with my wife and kids now. So I've got a lot, you know, I've set myself up and a lot to look forward to with my, with my wife and kids. Mm. You know, we can have those holidays, you know. I mean, most days, you know, I only do sort of two, three days work a week at the minute. So I'm yeah. working every day in essence, you know, yeah. I'm always on the phone, always emailing and setting things up and everything. But now, I, you know, I train with my son every day. And he's 10? Yeah. And he does weights? He does. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that must feel great. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Train pick, here. Yeah. We'll yeah. train here or another gym. Yeah. So, you know, I pick my son up from school every day and we... Go Ever picked him up in the tank? I have. Yeah, <laughs> I have. Yeah. yeah what did he... Cool. Was that a surprise? Did you tell it him? It was a surprise. No, so I didn't tell him I bought a tank. <laughs> and I just picked him up from school one day and he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, you've gone too far. It's like, to, and I didn't tell my wife either. Well, of course, yeah. So I just, I saw, I just rocked up one day with a tank, and she was just like, "What the fuck is this?" Um, <laughs> but yeah, just stuff like that, you know. And that's that's what makes me happy is all that sacrifice I made is now I can, I can sort of repay that in ways of no other parent could in a way. Mm. You know, I can pick my son up in a tank every day from school. <laughs> I can, you know, take him to the gym, go and train for two hours. We yeah. can go and hang out. We can play PlayStation, whatever else. And, you know, the weekends we can go and do whatever we want. So life's really flipped it on its head. You know, it's gone from all that sacrifice to, you know, repaying, repaying myself. Yeah. So I sacrificed as well and repaying them for their sacrifice. Mm. Really random one. What's the most amount of food you've eaten in a day? Oh, God. Um, the most I've ever done, I did a 20,000 calorie day once. And I'll never do it again. How do you get 20,000 calories in a day? Disgustingly. <laughs> Disgustingly. <laughs> Please explicitly oh, explain God. it. So, I mean, I would usually consume 12 and a half to 15,000 calories a day anyway. When I was at my peak, that mm. would be like a normal day for me. You mean training for World's Strongest Man? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there were days where, be like a Sunday, you'd have a day of recovery. And so would be like, right, I'm going to pile the calories in now to help that recovery process. Yeah. To you know, to to help you train harder for the week coming. So I had I had ways of getting the calories in. So uh, at some points when I was in a real big bulking season, I'd have a liter of ice cream after every single meal, <laughs> and then they were big meals. So that'd be <laughs> so I'd have I'd have a full English breakfast, a liter of ice cream. <laughs> you know, I'd have and then snacks in between. Lunch would be. Half a kilo of steak, rice, pasta, vegetables, a liter of ice cream, <laughs> and then all snacks and meals up until dinner time. And then again, uh, you know, a, a massive chicken curry, bolognese with like a kilo of pasta, and then a liter of ice cream. <laughs> and it was just a way of piling the cal- calories in. Yeah, not the healthiest by all means. And this is what I mean why I didn't put you know my heart and soul into the food. Um, but it had a purpose. Uh, yeah, and there was one day where I thought, right, I'm going to eat exactly that, but I'm going to top it up with another 5,000 calories. <laughs> so I bought a litre of double cream. Oh, no. And all throughout the day, just sipping it. <laughs> just in between. Just like every so often, just have a gulp. <laughs> and by the, end of, by the end of the day, this, this litre of double cream had gone. Fuck me, the worst, worst day of my fucking life. Oh. Spent the whole night shitting myself. <laughs> Throwing up, shitting through the eye of a needle. <laughs> Never again. I learnt my lesson. So yeah, I think sometimes, um, like the human body can only take so much. Yeah. I, I found my limit that day. Right, and you'd never do that again. No. no. What about for a hundred grand? 
I mean, yeah, everyone, every, <laughs> everyone, everyone's got a price. Yeah, we they? always yeah. talk about everyone's that. got a price. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Eddie, do you think the world needs more strong men? You know, society's seeming, it's changing a lot. There seems to be a, a bit of an attack on masculinity. Mm-hmm. There's this thing called toxic masculinity. I guess people would look at you and say you are, you know, the quintessential strong male. Mm. Does the world need more strong men? I feel like it needs a good mix of, of everything. But I do feel like... I feel like we need to learn from history. And I feel like that having strong men in the world is, is, is a big thing for the younger generation to to look up to, you know, to the world's strongest men, to the UFC champions, to the world boxing champions. You know, we need these people in our lives as much as we need anybody else. Um... I think you're completely right. There's a lot of toxicity out there at the minute. And I think it's down to the parents above anyone to teach the kids what's right and wrong. So, um, but me, myself, I, 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 I like to teach my son, you know, to be equal, to listen, to be understanding, never judge. And, you know, but, but then you've also got, you know, you want to be a, a, a man that, in my opinion, if you're not a man that's pushed your limits, like to know what the human body can do, I think that's a real shame. And if you can't do that, then I think it's good to see other people do that. You know, what can the human body do? How big and strong can the human body get? How, how fast, how agile, how mobile, how explosive? And I think those things are quite inspirational for, for the younger generation. Um, so I, I quite enjoy them. Like my son comes with me to the gym every day and we lift weights and we chat amongst the guys, you know, and we talk a lot proper lad stuff and he just joins in. You know, we'll talk about women and uh, and things going on in the world and, you know, Andrew Tate and we'll just talk about these mm. things. And I think that's really valuable for my son to just be there, listen and, and see how we react and what, what our opinions are. And and in between that, you know, we're, we're, we're lifting weights and drinking protein shakes, you <laughs> yeah. know, so... I think, I'm, I think I'm, you know, that's my way of bringing my child up. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's important, you know, just teach teach kids today a variety of everything. And mm. Everyone's got the place. Mm. So you mentioned Andrew Tate. Had him on the show, know him quite well. Um, and he's this really interesting caric- character and caricature yeah. in that he's almost the symbol of strong masculinity, but then there's a misogyny on the other side of it as well, where maybe he stepped over the line. What are your thoughts on Andrew Tate and his impact on society? Um, I mean, it, as you say, he's a character. He's a caricature, but um, uh, <laughs> it's a touchy one, isn't it, at the minute? I, I think some of the things he's done and said are, have been quite wrong in terms of teaching the younger generation to act a certain way towards women and, and homosexuals and whatever else. I think I think some of those things have been a bit wrong. Whether, whether they are his true personality or not, I think they're just wrong in general. Mm. Um, but I think Andrew Tate himself seems like a, uh, a man that a lot of people could look, look up to in certain ways. You know, he's a man who's come from nothing. He's a man who's fought his way up, literally, fought his way up and, and made, a, made a, a decent life for himself. Um, as I say, I don't want to dive into all the things that he could have done wrong or has done wrong, um, but 
you know, everyone's everyone's got their portrayal of themselves. I myself, you know, on 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 social media, I'm the beast. You know, I'm not Eddie Hall on the beast. So I've got a different personality, you know, and I'm a bit obnoxious and I'm a bit arrogant and whatever else when I'm on the stage and when I'm on camera. But in true essence, you know, I'm a family man. I've got uh, I've got a wife, I've got kids, I've got a kid on the way. You know, I've got a mum and dad. I've got I've got brothers and sisters. I've got I've got nieces. You know, I'm a normal person. I like to go out and have a beer. You know, I like to I like to hang around with pals. I like to play the PlayStation. So the, the, I think there's two, two, two sides to everybody. Mm. So with all this stuff around sort of gender now and, you know, the, the blurred lines of gender, do you think maybe that it's harder to be a boy growing up to be a man? Is it more confusing? Is this why Andrew Tate is so popular with young men? Because, like, this is what it takes to be a man. I mean, I'll just be honest, Eddie. If I was growing up and I was four, I mean, I was confused anyway at 14. I'd be fucking confused in <laughs> today's world. Yeah. Again, a very touchy one. Uh, I've be careful what I answer here, but... Um, but I think it's an important discussion to have. It is, of course. I think I, I'm of the opinion that men are men and women are women. End of story. Like, if people want to be someone else or something else, let them crack on. Like, I've got no problem with that whatsoever. Um, but like I wouldn't push my masculinity on somebody else, don't push your opinions on anybody else either. Mm. You know, if you, if you want to, um, if you want to be dressed as a woman and say you're a woman and, and whatever else, that's fine. Carry on, crack on. Just don't bother me mm. when you do it. You know what I mean? And yeah. that, that's my opinion with that kind of thing. Mm. Um, obviously celebrate who you are. Do what you do, but I, I, I think let people make their own decisions and, and trying to force that on people and make people learn your ways and whatever. Like that's bullshit. Mm. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't force myself to to force a kid to like you've got to be this, you've got to act like this, like bollocks. Like mm. that's that's your parents' job, not mine. Mm. You know, that, yeah. that's how it should be. One of the most controversial things Andrew Tate said, I think, is he said that depression isn't real. Uh-huh. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's, uh, again, that's a very obnoxious thing to say. I think it's quite an easy thing to say from an outside perspective. And I've heard, in his defence, I've heard people say that, you know, in different aspects. Um, When I was younger, when I got diagnosed with anxiety and depression, my nan, the most sweet-hearted, giving, generous woman on the planet to me, sort of sat me down one day and went, what's up with you? What's there to be depressed about? Just just snap out of it. And I don't think, you know, because she'd never been through it, she didn't quite get it and understand it, which, and I think unless you have been through it and you do understand what it what it does to you and what it takes, then it, it'd be quite easy for someone to the outside just to say, it's not real, come on. Yeah. Like, bullshit, you're not depressed. Just, just pick yourself up and let's go for a pint. You know, it doesn't work like that. So I think that's quite, um, uh, it's quite an obnoxious thing to say in some mm. ways, but uh, everyone's got their opinion. And again, like, do I judge him for having that opinion? Couldn't give a shit. Mm. Let him crack on. If he, if he thinks that's the case, then does that affect me in any way? No, it doesn't. Mm. Was your nan a big part of your life? My nan was a massive part of my life, yeah. Um, she, uh, someone that would, you know, I was a very, like we said, you know, very ADHD, just bouncing off the walls, very disobedient. Just if there's something they shouldn't be doing, you, you know, I'd do it. 
something you shouldn't say, I'd say it. And my nan, even though, you know, just a, a sweet old lady, had no physical power over me, but w just just with a few words would calm me down and make me see sense. And I think that's a very powerful thing to have as a child, as someone that has that power over you, that you have that respect for. And they, they you know, she taught me a lot in my life. She taught me how to care and be kind and to not judge and, you know, give people the time and patience because that, because she did that with me. Mm. And I was, I was, uh, I was a terror child and she still had the, the, all those things for me. So that taught me a lot that did. Mm. Taught me, it taught me a lot with my son now, you know, how to be with my son. You know, the, there's at times where I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, like I could, you know, I could clip you around the ear right now. Yeah. But it's my nan, all those lessons from my nan that's, you know, sometimes a good firm talking to does a lot more sinking in than, than a clip around the ear would. Mm. Mm. Should we do a quick fire round? We go like doing quick fire rounds. Yeah, About 30 it. second answers. I mean, you can yeah. do as much as you like, but. Okay. Um, why do you have a tank? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess I've recently uh, become acquainted with the world of YouTube and Facebook and TikTok and everything else, and I realised what a great income it is. And whilst I was doing some brainstorming one day, I uh, I just came up with the idea. I was like, wouldn't it be fucking great <laughs> if I just bought a tank? Like a road legal tank and just drove around in it and, and went to did stupid things like go through a car wash and, <laughs> and take it to McDonald's and pick my son up from school. I was like, that would make me a lot of money. <laughs> so I bought it and it's made me a footload of money. <laughs> so uh, it was a good decision. Yeah. yeah. My wife was, very, I, as I say, I brought, I just bought it one day, didn't tell anyone. And my wife just like nearly, nearly ripped my face off. <laughs> and I was just like, trust me, I can guarantee in three months time, you'll be telling me the best move I ever made. And three months on, she was like, yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Um, would you rather have one million cash here now or one million engaged extra followers on social media and why? Oh, I mean, me personally, I'd go for the cash because I, I, I could use that money to Pay for the followers. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you can make and more. Lots of change left yeah. over. Yeah, well, I bet you, you could probably make more than a million out of a million followers, though, couldn't you? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, what the 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 social platforms I've got in place, I know mm. the value of a million followers, and that that probably earn you a million in the long run. Yeah, mm. yeah. But a million cash would. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's a big difference between a million in a in a business bank account. Yeah, as, in, as opposed to a million in your cat in your hand. That's a big. That's di true. It's a big yeah. difference. Yeah, it's it's fifty percent more. Yeah. Um, for a million, would you eat twenty seven thousand calories in a day? Yeah, I would. Yeah. <laughs> That's got to be one of your next videos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I ate 27,000 calories for a million pound. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> I did say I was financing it. Um, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to overcome in your life? I would say one of the hardest things I've ever had to overcome in the, hmm, there's been many. Um, I would say with this, the boxing fight that I just had with, with Thor, um, sort of 18 months into the prep, I detached my left bicep. I've got the scar there, I rolled my bicep up. So ah, I, while you were doing a curl? Well, so I was doing oh. a, a hook. Oh. Just a silly wide hook, just one off mistake and it rolled my bicep up. 
and I had to go and get the surgery awake because I couldn't get put to sleep because of my size. So I had to have it done. Just They just put a band around my arm, numb my arm, and they just did the operation whilst I was awake. Did you look? I did. Yeah, did you was, regret looking? I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I filmed it. It's on my YouTube. It's Millions YouTube. of views. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the comeback from that, like, so the, the, the surgeon said to me, you can't throw a punch for a year. Like, you can box, you can throw jabs and whatever else, but if you throw a hard hook within this side of nine months, it'll just come off again. So I basically had to go into that fight six months after the operation and fight Thor one-armed. Was that, it your lead jab or was it yeah, your... Yeah, I was left, oh, I'm right-handed, yeah. so you always fight with Yeah, you need that jab. So, I, I mean, it put a massive disadvantage to me and quite, you know, people around me are like, Ed, do you want to postpone this? Do you want to extend it? And I was like, I can't. I'd already delayed it once. I'd already missed a fight. So there was so much pressure on me to go and do that fight that I just, I just dealt with it. And yeah. that was such a hard thing mentally to overcome. You know, I had to sort of convince myself it was okay that I'm going to beat this guy with one arm. And I did in the end. But to get to that point, you've got to, got to think six months. So I had the, the arm attached and then six months later I had to fight. You've got to think three and a half, four months of that, it was still healing. So mm. I couldn't even throw a jab, you know, and then yeah. two months I just started to use one. So that was, that was probably one of the hardest things I've had to overcome in my whole life and career. It was so, mentally Mm. more than anything to come back from that and, and step in the ring with uh, literally one of the biggest men on the planet yeah. with one arm is very <laughs> mentally taxing yeah so we're going to come back to the quick fire round in a moment because I want to go to um, Thor because yeah. I look at everything online in the media and I always then go well this might not be true because that's media so I always like to ask my guests themselves yeah. did they actually say this so did you say there's more chance of a dinner date with king charles than fixing your friendship with thor i did say that yeah i did say that and do you still feel that way um yeah i do you know there's 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 so much uh water under the bridge so to say uh, once too much is gone that then that bridge gets you know pulled down i mean that happened a long time ago so do you, do you, would you say you hate him? I don't hate him. No. I just, I just don't want to be, you know, I can't see myself being friends with someone who tried to destroy my life in the past. So uh, what, what did he do to try and destroy your life? He, he, he put a big black cloud over my 2017 win, said I cheated him, said me and a referee construed to take a title away from him. And that put a lot, a lot of mm. like black cloud on me, a lot of depression, a lot of like wow. added, added stress to my life. Um, and it was just, it was just a, a one, it was just like one post I did on Instagram, but that one post like blew up. Like, yeah, it blew mm. up, it blew up. Not a very nice thing to go through. No. It feels sad that to me. You know what, it is sad because I got on with Thor. Mm. You know, I, I, I classed him as a friend. You know, been around my house, we, we'd had a party at my house, we traveled the world together, went for meals. You know, we competed many, many times. Mm. And that was all just thrown out the window with one one Instagram post, just gone, just like that. Mm. It's sad. Yeah. It does sound like the makings of a good boxing rematch, though. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you can't confirm nor deny. I can't, not <laughs> no. 
All right. Um, what do you think of Jake Paul? I mean, he's sort of taken boxing a bit by storm. Mm. And it seems to be they either think, well, look, he's not a boxer, come on. Or, yeah, he's shaken boxing up in a good way. What do you think? I, I think fair play to the lad. I think he's come on the scene. He might have been, might have been obnoxious. He might have been arrogant. But he's backed it up. And that's the most important thing. You can be as obnoxious and arrogant as you want as long as you back it up. Mm. Look at Muhammad Ali. If Muhammad Ali hadn't have said those things and then come and delivered, would, he, would we class him as the greatest boxer of all time? Probably not. No. If he kept his mouth shut and just boxed, he'd just be another boxer. And I think that's what separates the great from the good. It's, right. It's backing yourself. So the hype. The hype. It's part backing, of Backing it. yourself is, is part, of, part of becoming a great. Jake Paul's backed himself and everyone's laughed and called him whatever names. But he's delivered. Mm. And you can't argue with that. He's delivered time and time again. And he's, I think he's going up against Tommy Fury. Yeah, we had him on the show, I think, what, last week, week before? Yeah, they yeah. just announced it. So, you know, we're going up against Tommy Fury. And again, that's going to test him, you know. Uh, Who's uh, winning that fight? I mean, I'd like to say Tommy, but I think just Jake Paul just keeps surprising people, you know. Tommy it's, thinks he's just a complete amateur. He's probably right. He's probably right, but, uh, and he probably is. But he keeps landing them lucky shots, doesn't he? Mm. So you can't call. I mean, how many times has he won four fights now, Jake Paul? And everyone's six. Six and out. Six, six and out. And four of those have definitely been good opponents. You know, mm. you, you can't call that luck at the end of the day. You know, he's doing something right. I think. I think people want to play him down. I think people want to say he's an idiot and amateur and whatever else, but he's taking it serious. Mm. You know, he's got boxing coaches. He's got he's got boxing rings at his fucking house. You know, you yeah, can't he... say the lad's not serious. He's fucking serious. He's mm. eating, sleeping, and shitting boxing. <laughs> um, yeah. And that puts a lot of professional boxers to shame, mate. Because mm. yeah. I know a lot of professional boxers that are professional boxers, and they don't eat, sleep, and shit it. They'll do little bits here and there, and mm. you know, half ass stuff. So he's putting the he's putting the footwork in. So I can only commend him really. Yeah. I commend Tommy Fury, Tommy Fury as well. He's he's of the same. You know, he's putting the footwork in. Mm. I think they're both the same in terms of like what they're going to put into this fight. So it's going to be an interesting one. I'd like Tommy to win. Mm. Yeah, we're we're team Tommy because Jake was on the show. It's a bit rude. Was he? Yeah, very rude. But uh, whatever, life's life. I don't care. Like you, I try not to judge. Yeah, yeah. But we prefer we prefer spending time with Tommy. Big big risk for Tommy though. You know, when his dad's basically mm. said, you can give up boxing here. <laughs> and you know what? Like sometimes people crumble under pressure, but I always say pressure creates diamonds. I perform very well under pressure. You know, the more pressure on me, the better I perform. The more people say I'm going to lose, the more people say you're not going to lift that 500 kilo deadlift, the more, the more I'll perform. So, you know, some people thrive in it, some people do crumble. Mm. We'll see. Mm. There's a lot of talk about him being on steroids, and um, it's not something I know much about, but mm. for some reason, Joe Rogan is going wild publicly. The rock is on steroids, the rock is on yeah. steroids, the rock is on steroids. He's just on about it all the time. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are, I mean, uh, you know, I've been to America and I know what, what goes on in terms of the, the world, the medical world, so to say. Um, I would believe that The Rock would be on TRT, which is testosterone replacement therapy. And that is a very good thing to do. It's actually very good for you, very healthy for you, helps you be big and strong, helps you live a long and prosperous life. 
So uh, I don't know, can you attack someone for bettering their life? I don't, I don't see how you can. You know, The Rock's doing it. The, lo the Rock is doing phenomenal in life. He's got the energy. He, he looks amazing. He performs amazing. Uh, and why should he stop doing TRT just because someone says it's wrong? I think Joe Rogan himself is, a, is on TRT. Yeah, I understand he is. I don't know for sure, but yeah. I understand. So it's a bit yeah. hypocritical to say he's on steroids when he's on steroids himself. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, maybe what's the quite amount to get him on his show. I don't I'd know. Probably, yeah. 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 Just, you know. Yeah. You said you know what goes on in that world, in the medical world over there. I have no idea what goes on. Well, I mean, TRT, you know, in the, in the UK, TRT is very frowned upon. I, I myself, I, I am on TRT. I'm prescribed from a doctor. Um, but in, in the UK, it's very, very, very frowned upon. But in the US, it's it's a medical thing. It's it's like if you, you get past 30 years of age. I'm way past that. <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah. You get past 30 years of age, your testosterone starts going, you know, starts depleting. And you start getting health problems, you start getting mental health problems, you start getting physical problems, you start wasting away, you know, you you start getting erections. In America, if that thing's happened, right, let's get you on TAT, let's bring your life back up. Right. And, you know, and the fit, the strong, the healthy, they live longer, they mm. perform better. It's it's a it's a world that the UK is 20, 30 years behind. Why? It just is. Just We're is. behind on a lot of things now. We're the very UK, behind, we? yeah. yeah. We're very behind. But I've got like I've got many friends that are on TRT. I've got some mm. friends in the UK that are on TRT, prescribed from doctors. Yeah. And all of them say the same. I wish they'd done it years ago. Really? Yeah. It, it, it changes your life. Mm. It, it's... So it's not just for bodybuilding as no, well. No, it's, it's just for... for health. Yeah. Mm. It's for health. It, it's to help you to live uh, a long and prosperous life. You know, it's to help you live into your 70s, 80s. It's to help you sleep better. It's to help you perform better. It's to help you, you know, get an erection and, and shag your wife. It's to help you do all these things. Uh, where, where do I buy it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's, you know, in the UK, I've got this this opinion of it's so bad, it's what? corrupt, I... it's horrible, it's cheating, blah, right. blah, blah. But it's mm. not. No. Right? When you look at it from a, a sensible point of view, as long as it's not abused, yeah. it's a very, very good and healthy thing to do mm. for, for a male. Very good. Right. Harry, we better check that out. <laughs> so we have a mutual friend, and that is Martin Ford. Yes. Um, I interviewed him on the show, became a friend after that. And I asked him, what should I ask Eddie? Um, and he said this. He didn't actually give a question, but I just like this. I need to read it to you. Um, he said, okay. Haha, I wish I could tell you all I know about Eddie, but that, there's a friend code. <laughs> so fair play. <laughs> um, and it would either get him cancelled or arrested. That's what he said. So Eddie, what Right back at you, Martin. <laughs> yeah. Right back at you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to break the friend code, so I'm going to ask you, but can you give us something that maybe you haven't talked about in an interview before, something about Eddie that most people don't know, or something that Martin might have on you in a brown envelope? <laughs> Ooh. As, as as Martin says, it's you know you've got to be very careful what you say these days. There's there's nothing I can say to that really without incriminating. <laughs> well, that's not what we're here for. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, let me ask it another way then. Is there anything about you that's misunderstood in the public? Um, I think the the perception of the, of, of the beast and Eddie Hall gets misunderstood a lot. I think have yeah. you perpetuated that? <laughs> yeah, probably. Have you created yeah. The yeah, beast? it's my own doing. Yeah, but you know, I think I think you know on the TV show you do come across as uh, as this animal. 
Mm. You know, when I'm on stage and performing and, and on TV shows, you've got to be this cocky, arrogant guy who's above, you know, mm. above everyone else and whatever. You know, you've got to be that person to sort of, to, to, to be that positive on camera sort of thing. And that can be misconstrued quite heavily, uh, which it was, can get quite upsetting. You know, you, you, you get a lot of, uh, a lot of comments, so to say, that, that you read and you're like, fucking hell. Yeah, I mean, I'm at the point in my life where I'm just like, you don't really get offended anymore. You know, there's been so much of it, just like, fucking hell, that's bad or whatever. Yeah. You know, you don't really get bothered, but I think it's, it's, it's still that little bit hurtful that people do come on and sort of think that you are that person. You know, you do these these sketches, so to say. A bit like Andrew Tate. Mm. You know, he's got two personalities, as in, and he's been perceived as, as this one and that people absolutely hate. When in reality, I bet if you meet him, he's pretty pretty sound guy, I'd imagine. Mm. Well, he was when I met him. Well, there you, you go. Know, and that's and not it, often said, but... And I always, yeah. I always say, you treat people for how they are with you. Like, people say they, like, like Jake Paul. Like people say they hate him and, and whatever, he's disgusting, he's bad for boxing. He's a dick, he's this. No. Have you ever met him? Yeah. No, you haven't? No. There's a, you Robbie Williams, the mm. singer. Mm. So I, 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 I've had a lot, you know, he's from Stoke. So, and he's been talked about in the past. And you, know, you mentioned him once or twice. There's a lot of positivity, don't get me wrong. But you get quite a few people that are like, oh, he's a dickhead. And they're like, all oh, right, well, why is he a dickhead? Well, he's he's just too big for Stoke, isn't he? Moved to LA, he thinks he's too fucking big time and he's fucking done this and done that. And I'm all right. Too so big for big. Stoke. So I'm just like, all right, so you're just jealous then? And they're like, eh? I'm like, well, what, what's he done to you? He hasn't done anything to you, mm. but you're calling him a dickhead and, and jealous, you know, and, and saying he's too big for this. He hasn't done anything to you, mate. He's, yeah. he's had a brilliant career and he's moved out there and he's got an amazing family. What's he done to you? Mm. Oh, when you put it like that, I suppose you're right. I'm like, mm. shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's quite easy to be that person, isn't it? To, yeah. to, to throw hate on people, you know, personalities, so to speak. Mm. But when you meet them in person, like Robbie was so down to earth. Jason Statham. It's probably the best example I can give you. You, you. You'd think Jason Statham would be, I don't know, you get this perception, don't you? Like, wouldn't really have time for you. Yeah. You know, but I met him on the set of Expendables 4 and he was the most down-to-earth bloke I'd ever met. Straight up to him, he like, oh, he fangirled on me. <laughs> he proper fangirled Fang on me. Girl. I was like, oh my God, Eddie Hall. It's like, you're fucking deadlift. You're swimming. You're strong man. Mm. And then we just talked for, for hours about mm. just bollocks. <laughs> And I walked away, I was like, fucking hell, like, what a nice bloke. Proper, down-to-earth, lovely bloke. And mm. I, I don't know, I've never heard anything bad about Jason Statham myself. But I met him and I took him for what he is, mm. you know, and I can say to everyone he was an amazing bloke, down-to-earth, humble, funny. Mm. Uh, and that's how you want to take people these days. Yeah. And you said you kind of got used to the hate now. So how do you, maybe a 30-second tip on just ignoring the hate and not letting it hurt you personally? I think um, I think what's you've got to see what's important in life, especially someone in my position. Is, is, is it doesn't matter what people's opinion of you. What's important to me is people around me, you know, my family, my friends. That's it. That's it. You know, I, I can look on social media. I could probably ring. I could read a thousand positive comments and probably ten negative. But being the person we are, we are the people we are. We always focus in on the negative. And I always think to myself, when I see those negative comments and people coming on and hating, what does it say? What does it really say about them? You know, they've had to take time out of their day to come onto your profile page to say something hateful about you or toward you. 
What does that really say about their lives? Mm. Usually it's the people that throw the hate that really hate their own lives. Mm. So I actually feel sorry for them in a little way. Mm. You know, just I, I hope that person turns their life around and turns all that negativity into positivity and lives a great life. Mm. So if you could go back to the 13-year-old you mm. or a 13-year-old child struggling at school, just got suspended, getting bullied, teachers telling them there'll be nothing, yeah. what would you say to them? Well, I've been in that position. I was that. That's person. why I asked right. it. <laughs> I mean, if I could go back in time, I would, I would say keep being you because there's so much pressure in the world to be a certain person, to do well at school, to get GCSEs, to go to college, to go, go to university, to get a decent job, to get a house, to pay your bills and to have a family. There's so much pressure on, on kids these days and there's no one there to say, you know what, mate, like, fuck everybody else. You just concentrate on you. There's no one there to say that. Everyone's there to say, to tell you how shit you are and how, how worthless you are and how you go to amount to nothing. That's what they're there to do at school, in my opinion, these days. They're just there. If, you, if you're an outcast, if you've got ADHD and bouncing off the walls, they want you out. Mm. They want you fucking gone. Well, if you're that person, if you're that person in the world right now, just enjoy your life. Be yourself. Find your fix. And you'll be you'll be just fine. Amen. Amen. <laughs> What's your biggest regret in life? Ooh. Um. I don't really have I don't really have regrets. But something popped into your head because you did. chuckled there. Go on. It did. Go so on, the it only did. regret I have. It's in strong way. So the only regret I have is is I said I was going to break the world record log press above the head. And uh, I nearly did it. Got it above my head, but my, I had a bad ankle at the time, so it, it let me go. And instead of coming back two weeks later and doing it again, I just I quit. I just backed away. I just had to, you know, redeem my health and get back to normality. And still to this day, it, it itches me. It fucking burns <laughs> me. You know, I wish I'd have just, you know, two weeks later, you know, done something or went to an event or something and just did that. Mm -hmm. Did that fucking world record lot of press, but there you go. So this show is called Disruptors. What does that word disruptive mean to you? Disruptive. Um, oh God, people out of the ordinary, people that do things on their own, in their own way, in their own path, people that don't give a fuck about authority, um, people that prove people wrong. What do you, what, what, what does that word mean to you? Well, this is what the show is called. Okay. So it means being a rebel with a cause. Okay. It means going, observe the masses, do the opposite. Yeah. But I love what you said. I, I do see you as a true disruptor. Mm. Um, you wouldn't know this, and I don't want to too much fangirl on you, but we've been trying to get you on this show since 1922. All right, okay. Because <laughs> I really think you are a disruptor. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, and so I'm really thanks. pleased that we've done it. And hopefully you've enjoyed the show. Yeah, no, I have. So can I ask one final, purely selfish question? Yeah. Like, this is not for the listeners, this is for me. Yeah. This is random, because I'm not Jake Paul, I'm not Eddie Hall, I'm me. But someone called me out for a fight live on a podcast. Right. And I just thought, I want to knock him out, so I'm going to do it. So I, I bet him 50 grand there and then, because I thought he'd wriggle. Yeah. And he's taken it. And he's 35 kilos heavier than me. Yeah. And it's happening on July the 1st. Wow. So can you give me a couple of little tips? What's his name first? His name's Samuel Leeds. Right. So he's um, 
I have a property training company. Yeah, yeah. It's the biggest one in the UK. Right. He thinks he's got the biggest one in the UK, which he hasn't, because yeah, I have, you have yeah. which is half the, the reason why he wants to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think he just wants to, you know, um, punch above his weight a bit and sort me out, um, which he's not going to do. Um, yeah, so we're calling it Clash of the Property Titans. Okay, it's yeah. on July the 1st. <laughs> and um, like, I'm serious about this. So um, yeah, any tips on training? You've done, you've had a fight like that? Yeah, well, just don't detach your bicep. <laughs> that would be the number one <laughs> rule of thumb. Um, seek help. Yeah, good training, you mean? Good training. You need a coach. You yeah. need someone that's going to eat, sleep, and shit boxing with you. Yeah. Um, and don't take it half-arsed. No. You know, give it everything you've got. Mm. Because if you start giving yourself excuses, as yeah. in, oh, I can't train today because I've got to make this property deal. Well, I'm going to see Eddie Hall. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to <laughs> yeah. write a program down and you've got to fucking stick to it. The second yeah. you start missing meals or missing training sessions or missing physio, that's when you're lying on the deck looking up at the ceiling thinking, fuck, if only I did this, if only I did that. And that's a man with excuses. Do not be a man with excuses. Amen. Amen. Eddie, this has been great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate your time.